I wanted to ask you about emotional stress because I think feelings and emotions is something that you talk so brilliantly about. And I think as parents, it's something that we talk about a lot on the podcast that we can teach our children how to connect with their feelings and emotions. So can you talk about emotional stress and maybe the big five that you talk about in the book? Absolutely. Yeah. So my big catchphrase is take your emotions seriously because I've sat with hundreds of people and over and over again, they will dismiss their emotions as being silly, as being inappropriate, as being overreactions. People will call themselves drama queens because they've felt something. And what we really need people to understand is that emotional distress and emotional pain is physical distress. Your brain interprets it in exactly the same way. It uses the same neural pathways in the brain to process physical pain when you stub your toe or break your leg to process emotional pain. And it elicits the same then stress response, right? So if your body knows that it's a stressor for you to break a leg, then it also sees having a broken heart as a stressor and it will turn on those same stress responses. And therefore we need to see emotional distress as the kind of emergency as the physical pain and and physical injuries. I just want to underscore this because I think this is something which was transformative for me when I got it, which is that my feelings and emotions are messengers just the same as pain when I stubbed my toe, as you said. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't just ignore that and think, oh, you know, I'm just going to carry on and that might escalate into a limp, might escalate into needing, mm-hmm. so, you know, who knows where that might escalate. But so often, as you're describing, we ignore these messengers, which are our feelings and emotions. I just started to jump in. I just really wanted to underscore it because for me, it was transformational to understand that because I used to see feelings as inconvenient and push them down and they come out sideways anyway, in my experience. Yeah, but... of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that's such a powerful message, Kimberly, that, that our feelings and emotions are messengers to give some space to, mm-hmm. not without judgment, they're trying to tell you something. They don't just crop up out of nowhere for no reason. Certainly your brain doesn't really like inefficiency. It wouldn't do that, throw around these powerful emotions for no good reason. And what we certainly know cross-culturally is that many of these evolved emotional responses, well, they are evolved emotional responses, you know, that we share them with all sorts of different communities around the world. So they seem to be built in, they're hardwired in. Things like anger, for example, have specific neurons in the brain dedicated to their activation they are there for a reason and I think as soon as people get that you know that they're not as you say like an inconvenience something that's there to thwart them and if you can just tolerate them and learn to bear them long enough to understand what they're saying to you then your world opens up because then you become much less reactive and much more curious and when you're curious and able to tolerate it then you can act appropriately rather than feeling like you have to suppress or ignore or deny or run away from your feelings yes is suppressing feelings another stressor it absolutely is <laughs> and I talk about this a lot because again you know I work with a lot of people who feel like they, if they just push it down tap it down stamp it down they'll be okay and they can carry on but a 
emotions don't just go away because you don't like them. You know, they're very persistent messengers. They will keep coming around and putting that note through your door saying, we missed you, but we'll be back tomorrow. Or they will come out as a physical symptom. Because they're a physiological stress, they will transform into a physical symptom. That Those stress hormones will keep being pumped out and one of your body's tissues will recognize them if you don't. And what happens with emotional suppression, which is the real ironic effect, because people will sit in my office and they will say, I just don't want to think about it, so I'll push it down. And I will sit there and I will tell them, this is making you less resilient, not more. So there are clinical trials that show that, for example, if you take two groups of people, well, well, one group of people and split them in two, and you get them to plunge their hands into ice cold water, and you say to one group, you guys are allowed to curse and swear and shout and scream, do what you like, you can express that distress. And you tell the other group, I need you to stay silent, please. Please do not show on your face any signs of distress and don't scream out. The people who are able to express their distress are able to bear the ice water for longer. They have actually greater tolerance, we might say greater resilience, that they can bear it for longer because the other group are using up a huge amount of their energy and their emotional reserve trying to suppress the feeling. And they've done these sorts of studies, again, you know, having people watch horror movies and not showing their distress. And what they found is that when you try to suppress your emotion, your body is screaming. You know, the markers of stress in your body and in your skin are much higher than if you're allowed to squirm or show your feelings in your face. So you just push it into your body. Everything that you're saying is just, I'm so excited for my audience to hear this and hopefully get your book because you go into it in much more detail in the book. But what I'm hearing, and so fascinating, and I think that's probably a whole other episode (laughs) around how when we suppress our feelings, it comes out in physical ailments. What's interesting to me is so much of the modern parenting books, actually maybe not the modern ones, but the kind of 80s, 90s parenting books Mm -hmm. were really all about tactics to help us manage quote unquote slash suppress our children's feelings so you know and there's a generational impact at play I think I don't know about you but my parents weren't really taught how to feel their feelings so mine got suppressed and I think if we're not taught it's a skill to learn to sit with anger because if you're taught zero to seven when our brains are going through their biggest growth and forming if we're taught that anger is bad and if you are angry you're going to get punished it can take a lot can't it to then learn to be able to welcome in those feelings absolutely I had one client come back to me and say that when I sat down and explained to her that anger was her emotion of self-esteem and that anger is your sign. It's a clue to you that you are feeling or seeing injustice. She said it blew her mind. She was ringing up friends and telling them, you know, this little piece of information because she'd grown up absolutely having her anger suppressed and seen as a sign of weakness and childishness. It just showed that you were out of control. It didn't have any meaning. It was just that you were a bad child and therefore a bad adult as she grew, that it can be transformational to understand that this intense feeling that you're experiencing, A, can be understood, but B, might have a really powerful message. And I say that anger is my favorite emotion because I think it can be hugely powerful and hugely powerful in a really positive way. Mm, I Uh, love that you say this. You say it's the self-esteem emotion. 
Yeah, because when you feel angry, I give the example in the book, you know, whether you're standing in a queue at the supermarket and someone jumps in or you're driving and someone cuts in in the line or you see someone having a fight in the street, what anger is usually telling you is that something unfair has happened. How you respond to that is different. You know, how you decide whether you just tucked at the person in front of you in the line or punch them in the face. Our responses to anger tend to be the problem, not the anger itself. And often people also mistake anger for violence. We think that when you're angry, you must be being violent. But I give the example of Rosa Parks, who, when she refused to get out of her seat, was furiously angry, but not violent at all. So it's about your ability to understand and to tolerate your anger, to see what it's trying to tell you, and then your capacity to choose an appropriate response. So I think the more that we suppress and deny anger, the more ill-equipped people are to use it in the most positive ways. People who can really understand their anger and get on board with it are hugely powerful, impressive people. And we look at them and we admire them because when utilized in the right way, anger can be dedication, it can be commitment, it can be drive, it can be passion but we need to be able to see it for what it is and not demean and diminish and dismiss it. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self-care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self-care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self-care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon. <laughs> 